0: Section 5 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josip. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Section 5. Book Second. Argument. Having completed his exposition of things, the author now proceeds to discuss the subject of signs. He first defines what a sign is, and shows that there are two classes of signs, the natural and the conventional. Of conventional signs, which are the only class here noticed, words are the most numerous and important, and are those with which the interpreter of Scripture is chiefly concerned. The difficulties and obscurities of Scripture spring chiefly from two sources, unknown and ambiguous signs. The present book deals only with unknown signs, the ambiguities of language being reserved for treatment in the next book. The difficulty arising from ignorance of signs is to be removed by learning the Greek and Hebrew languages in which Scripture is written, by comparing the various translations, and by attending to the context. In the interpretation of figurative expressions knowledge of things is as necessary as knowledge of words and the various sciences and arts of the heathen so far as they are true and useful may be turned to account in removing our ignorance of signs whether these be direct or figurative whilst exposing the folly and futility of many heathen superstitions and practices The author points out how all that is sound and useful in their science and philosophy may be turned to a Christian use, and in conclusion he shows the spirit in which it behoves us to address ourselves to the study and interpretation of the sacred books. CHAPTER One: SIGNS, THEIR NATURE AND VARIETY As when I was writing about things, I introduced the subject with a warning against attending to anything but what they are in themselves, even though they are signs of something else, so now, when I come in its turn to discuss the subject of signs, I lay down this direction, not to attend to what they are in themselves, but to the fact that they are signs, that is, to what they signify for a sign is a thing which over and above the impression it makes on the senses causes something else to come into the mind as a consequence of itself as when we see a footprint we conclude that an animal whose footprint this is has passed by and when we see smoke we know that there is fire beneath and when we hear the voice of a living man we think of the feeling in his mind And when the trumpet sounds, soldiers know that they are to advance or retreat, or do whatever else the state of the battle requires. Now, some signs are natural, others conventional. Natural signs are those which, apart from any intention or desire of using them as signs, do yet lead to the knowledge of something else, as, for example, smoke when it indicates fire for it is not from any intention of making it a sign that it is so but through attention to experience we come to know that fire is beneath even when nothing but smoke can be seen and the footprint of an animal passing by belongs to this class of signs and the countenance of an angry or sorrowful man indicates the feeling in his mind independently of his will and in the same way every other emotion of the mind is betrayed by the tell-tale countenance, even though we do nothing with the intention of making it known. This class of signs, however, it is no part of my design to discuss at present. But as it comes under this division of the subject, I could not altogether pass it over. It will be enough to have noticed it thus far. Chapter 2. Of the kind of signs we are now concerned with conventional signs on the other hand are those which living beings mutually exchange for the purpose of showing as well as they can the feelings of their minds or their perceptions or their thoughts nor is there any reason for giving a sign except the desire of drawing forth and conveying into another's mind what the giver of the sign has in his own mind we wish then to consider and discuss this class of signs so far as men are concerned with it because even the signs which have been given us of god and which are contained in the holy scriptures were made known to us through men those namely who wrote the scriptures the beasts too have certain signs among themselves by which they make known the desires in their mind for when the poultry cock has discovered food he signals with his voice for the hen to run to him and the dove by cooing calls his mate or is called by her in turn and many signs of the same kind are matters of common observation now whether these signs like the expression or the cry of a man in grief follow the movement of the mind instinctively and apart from any purpose or whether they are really used with the purpose of signification is another question And does not pertain to the matter in hand and this part of the subject i exclude from the scope of this work as not necessary to my present object chapter three among signs words hold a chief place of the signs then by which men communicate their thoughts to one another some relate to the sense of sight some to that of hearing a very few to the other senses for when we nod we give no sign except to the eyes of the man to whom we wish by this sign to impart our desire and some convey a great deal by the motion of the hands and actors by movements of all their limbs give certain signs to the initiated and so to speak address their conversation to the eyes and the military standards and flags convey through the eyes the will of the commanders and all these signs are as it were a kind of visible words the signs that address themselves to the ear are as i have said more numerous and for the most part consist of words for though the bugle and the flute and the lyre frequently give not only a sweet but a significant sound yet all these signs are very few in number compared with words for among men words have obtained far and away the chief place as a means of indicating the thoughts of the mind our lord it is true gave a sign through the odor of the ointment which was poured out upon his feet and in the sacrament of his body and blood he signified his will through the sense of taste and when by touching the hem of his garment the woman was made whole the act was not wanting in significance But the countless multitude of the signs through which men express their thoughts consists of words. For I have been able to put into words all those signs, the various classes of which I have briefly touched upon, but I could by no effort express words in terms of those signs. CHAPTER Four: ORIGIN OF WRITING but because words pass away as soon as they strike upon the air and last no longer than their sound men have by means of letters formed signs of words thus the sounds of the voice are made visible to the eye not of course as sounds but by means of certain signs it has been found impossible however to make those signs common to all nations owing to the sin of discord among men which springs from every man trying to snatch the chief place for himself and that celebrated tower which was built to reach to heaven was an indication of this arrogance of spirit and the ungodly men concerned in it justly earned the punishment of having not their minds only but their tongues besides thrown into confusion and discordance chapter five scripture translated into various languages and hence it happened that even holy scripture which brings a remedy for the terrible diseases of the human will being at first set forth in one language by means of which it could at the fifth season be disseminated through the whole world was interpreted into various tongues and spread far and wide and thus became known to the nations for their salvation. And in reading it, men seek nothing more than to find out the thought and will of those by whom it was written, and through these to find out the will of God, in accordance with which they believe these men to have spoken. CHAPTER six, USE OF THE OBSCURITIES IN SCRIPTURE WHICH ARISE FROM ITS FIGURATIVE LANGUAGE but hasty and careless readers are led astray by many and manifold obscurities and ambiguities substituting one meaning for another and in some places they cannot hit upon even a fair interpretation some of the expressions are so obscure as to shroud the meaning in the thickest darkness and i do not doubt that all this was divinely arranged for the purpose of subduing pride by toil and of preventing a feeling of satiety in the intellect, which generally holds in small esteem what is discovered without difficulty. For why is it, I ask, that if any one says that there are holy and just men whose life and conversation the Church of Christ uses as a means of redeeming those who come to it from all kinds of superstitions, and making them through their imitation of good men members of its own body, men who as good and true servants of god have come to the baptismal font laying down the burdens of the world and who rising thence do through the implanting of the holy spirit yield the fruit of a twofold love a love that is of god and their neighbour how is it i say that if a man says this he does not please his hearer so much as when he draws the same meaning from that passage in canticles where it is said of the church when it is being praised under the figure of a beautiful woman thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are shorn which came up from the washing whereof every one bears twins and none is barren among them Does the hearer learn anything more than when he listens to the same thought expressed in the plainest language without the help of this figure? And yet I don't know why I feel greater pleasure in contemplating holy men, when I view them as the teeth of the church, tearing men away from their errors, and bringing them into the church's body with all their harshness softened down, just as if they had been torn off and masticated by the teeth. It is with the greatest pleasure too that i recognize them under the figure of sheep that have been shorn laying down the burthens of the world like fleeces and coming up from the washing that is from baptism and all bearing twins that is the twin commandments of love and none among them barren in that holy fruit but why i view them with greater delight under that aspect than if no such figure were drawn from the sacred books though the fact would remain the same and the knowledge the same is another question, and one very difficult to answer. Nobody, however, has any doubt about the facts, both that it is pleasanter in some cases to have knowledge communicated through figures, and that what is attended with difficulty in the seeking gives greater pleasure in the finding. For those who seek but do not find suffer from hunger those again who do not seek at all because they have what they require just beside them often grow languid from satiety now weakness from either of these causes is to be avoided accordingly the holy spirit has with admirable wisdom and care for our welfare so arranged the holy scriptures as by the plainer passages to satisfy our hunger and by the more obscure to stimulate our appetite For almost nothing is dug out of those obscure passages, which may not be found set forth in the plainest language elsewhere. CHAPTER Seven: Steps to Wisdom First, Fear. Second, Piety. Third, Knowledge. Fourth, Resolution. Fifth, Counsel. Sixth, Purification of Heart. Seventh, Stop or Termination. Wisdom first of all then it is necessary that we should be led by the fear of god to seek the knowledge of his will what he commands us to desire and what to avoid now this fear will of necessity excite in us the thought of our mortality and of the death that is before us and crucify all the motions of pride as if our flesh were nailed to the tree next it is necessary to have our hearts subdued by piety and not to run in the face of holy scripture whether when understood it strike at some of our sins or when not understood we feel as if we could be wiser and give better commands ourselves we must rather think and believe that whatever is there written even though it be hidden is better and truer than anything we could devise by our own wisdom after these two steps of fear and piety we come to the third step knowledge of which i have now undertaken to treat for in this every earnest student of the holy scriptures exercises himself to find nothing else in them but that god is to be loved for his own sake and our neighbor for god's sake and that god is to be loved with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the mind and one's neighbor as one's self that is in such a way that all our love for our neighbor like all our love for ourselves should have reference to god and on these two commandments i touched in the previous book when i was treating about things it is necessary then that each man should first of all find the scriptures that he through being entangled in the love of this world that is of temporal things has been drawn far away from such a love for god and such a love for his neighbor as scripture enjoins then that fear which leads him to think of the judgment of god and that piety which gives him no option but to believe in and submit to the authority of scripture compel him to bewail his condition for the knowledge of a good hope makes a man not boastful but sorrowful and in this frame of mind he implores with unremitting prayers the comfort of the divine help that he may not be overwhelmed in despair And so he gradually comes to the fourth step, that is, strength and resolution, in which he hungers and thirsts after righteousness. For in this frame of mind he extricates himself from every form of fatal joy in transitory things, and turning away from these, fixes his affection on things eternal, to wit, the unchangeable trinity in unity and when to the extent of his power he has gazed upon this object shining from afar and has felt that owing to the weakness of his sight he cannot endure that much less light then in the fifth step that is in the counsel of compassion he cleanses his soul which is violently agitated and disturbs him with base desires from the filth it has contracted and at this stage he exercises himself diligently in the love of his neighbor. And when he has reached the point of loving his enemy, full of hopes and unbroken in strength, he mounts to the sixth step, in which he purifies the eye itself which can see God, so far as God can be seen by those who, as far as possible, die to this world. For men see him just so far as they die to this world, And so far as they live to it, they see him not. But yet, although that light may begin to appear clearer, and not only more tolerable, but even more delightful, still it is only through a glass darkly that we are said to see, because we walk by faith, not by sight, while we continue to wander as strangers in this world, even though our conversation be in heaven and at this stage, too, a man so purges the eye of his affections as not to place his neighbor before, or even in comparison with, the truth, and therefore not himself, because not him who he loves as himself. Accordingly, that holy man will be so single and so pure in heart, that he will not step aside from the truth, either for the sake of pleasing men, or with a view to avoid any of the annoyances which beset this life such a son ascends to wisdom which is the seventh and last step and which he enjoys in peace and tranquillity for the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom from that beginning then till we reach wisdom itself our way is by the steps now described end of section five